You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Good morning. I invite you to take your scriptures out or a Bible in front of you in a chair and turn again to the book of Mark, chapter 15. We're in verse 40. This week, Mark 15, 40. Thankful again for the worship team to lead us through that and give our eyes that gaze that helps us to gaze on our Father and to praise Him. So thank you for all of you adding your voices to, to the chorus here. Wonderful to praise our God. As you're getting to Mark 15, 40, uh, we've got a picture up from last week uh, from Malachi. Malachi was the solo guy that turned it in, and Malachi's got uh, the picture here. Malachi, when you first turned it in, I saw Rip here, and I thought, you mean rest in peace for Jesus? No. Malachi meant something different, didn't you? He meant the curtain. I don't know if you can see it up there, but last week we talked about the curtain being torn, and that's the tearing and ripping of the curtain, and there's a, there's a rumble and there's a brumble and all sorts of things as the earth shook uh, when Jesus breathed his last. And so uh, Malachi captured a picture there of that curtain and now our access to the Lord through Christ. So thanks, Malachi, for doing that. Let's look into God's Word. I'm starting at verse 40, and then we'll read through the end of the chapter here through verse 47. We're in Mark 15. Jesus has breathed His last. That curtain was torn. The centurion has said, Truly this man was the Son of God. And now let's join in verse 40. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Pray for us again. Again, Lord, as we come to your word, we want to come and ask for your Holy Spirit to reveal and guide as we study this. Lord, as as the dear people of Bethany and any visitors we have with us today, as we gaze upon these words, Lord, may you just work through looking at uh, what's written before us. We acknowledge this is your word before us. It is binding on us who call Christ Lord. And so, Lord, what you have through this, may you reveal by your Spirit. Lord, guide my words. I would not preach anything false of you, but we would exalt you. What it looks like to be a disciple of you 
through this passage. And so guide us towards that, Lord, to be looking to you during this time. And we would ask this in your name. Amen. Question for you this morning. Is it possible for us to emulate or follow after the footsteps of these women we've just read about here that I read in verses 40 through 41? Or even specifically to follow after the life of this one called Joseph of Arimathea? So the question, what bearing does Mark's account of their lives that we've just read about, what bearing does that have on us reading it so many years later? And I want to give a broad statement for this passage. I believe that what we're seeing and reading about are the lives, they are the lives of followers of Christ, His disciples. We're seeing what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ And what it looks like to serve the body of Christ. And so today we're going to be looking at these ones here. Some of the details surrounding their service. Who they were. And then come back again to ask ourselves. What do we as disciples, as followers of Christ in 2018. What do we take away from what we see lived out in these verses. You might say in one sense Jesus seems quite silent in these verses. That we're maybe used to him doing teaching or healings or explanations. There's there's a sense of a silence of Jesus, right? He's he's breathed his last and he's simply being taken down and put in a tomb. But if we believe that what we're reading here are the words of God, breathed out, what we read in Mark, this scripture inspired, breathed out by God, then really what we are reading, reading comes from jesus and jesus is teaching us not in silence but he's teaching us through the word of god before us and so that's why we pray to listen in so let's do that and listen into this text here and we're going to look first at the women who mark says they were looking on from a distance there in verse 40 and we're going to look briefly at what we know of each one of these women here and this may not be exhaustive by any means but just to look at a few of them the first one there You'll see his named Mary Magdalene, listed first. We learn something of her from Luke 8, 1 through 3. I'll just read it for you. Here's what we learn as Scripture helps us explain Scripture. Uh, it says this, uh, it says, Jesus, quote, went on through cities and villages. He was proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. The ESV Study Bible states that what we know of Mary Magdalene is that Jesus healed her of demonic possession and that she greatly... uh, Gratefully, I'm sorry, followed him to the foot of the cross and the empty tomb. They go on to say seven demons reveals the greatness of her healing. Here's one that had met the Savior and been healed and now is following. And here she is, touched by Jesus at the cross, eventually even coming to his tomb, the gravesite, to see where he was laid. Another Mary is listed. There's a lot. Uh, this is Mary, the, the mother of James and, and Joseph. And some scholars may debate 
this, but I believe Mark here, he's pointing out Jesus' own mother. And the reason, why doesn't he call her his mother? I don't know. I can't answer that for you, but she's not called that. But we've seen this family back in Mark chapter 3. They've come to Jesus thinking he was out of his mind. That's one place where we saw uh, Jesus' family in the book so far. A bit later, Jesus travels to his hometown of Nazareth in Mark 6, and there the crowds ask, and this is why I believe this is Mary, Jesus' own mother. In Mark 6, the crowds ask, Is not this the carpenter, speaking of Jesus, the son of Mary? Okay, that connects. And brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. Now, not all are listed here, but I think there's at least some evidence here, good evidence to believe that this particular Mary, mother of James the Younger, Joseph, uh, was in fact the mother of Jesus. John's Gospel even records, and, and again, it's helpful as you look at these Gospels to see different vignettes, different things that are brought out in each of these. Uh, John records the last interaction even between Jesus and his mother, where he entrusts her to the care of that beloved disciple, uh, John. So I think we know Mary was present. The mother of Jesus was present. I believe this is her here. And then one other, uh, Salome. Uh, Salome is, is listed here. If you look at a similar account of this in Matthew's Gospel, it's 27, verse 56. You don't have to go there, but you can look, look there. It's not very far back. If you want to uh, look at the... Yeah, let's go there. Let's go there. We're not far. Let's go back to Matthew. Uh, 27, 56... Well, you can see where this is kind of coming from. 2756, there it is. There's, so here's Matthew's account of these women here before uh, watching all this. And he says in verse 55, there were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, uh, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene, talked about her, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee the mother of the sons of Zebedee. And I think that's a helpful clue for us to see who's Salome. Do you remember the sons of Zebedee? Uh, those sons of thunder, James and John. They were fishermen who in the beginning of Mark had left their nets. They left their dad with the nets and they went to follow Jesus. And so here I think we have reason to believe stands their mom, Salome, named by Mark here. The same mom in Matthew chapter 20 that had asked Jesus, she had asked her sons, can they sit at your right and left hand in your kingdom? And I just wonder what she thought as she watched this all taking place. Is this what I was asking for? We don't know, but there's an interesting connection with Salome. Helpful, and again, to encourage you in your study of Scripture, uh, at times, not always the case, but other scriptures inform the scripture where you're at and use that. That's why it's so good to be reading through the entire scriptures to let them inform us and, and uh, help us. Maybe where we say, oh, we'll just go to a commentary or somebody else's opinion. It's helpful as we see them in scripture. So I encourage you to do that. Hopefully you're personally reading through the scripture every day through the word of God, and that's a, that's a help to you. Well, we want to look at how Mark describes these women. Uh, we looked at them briefly here. Verse 41 describes them. Mark uses pen and uses the ink to describe them. It says this, When he was in Galilee, Jesus, these women, they followed him and ministered to him, 
And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Not just these three, but they're singled out. He says in there, they were followers. They were providers. They were disciples of Jesus. They followed him in his ministry. And that following has led them to the cross. But I also said they're providers. Luke's account of at least some of these women tells us they provided for Jesus by their own means. So as they went around and Jesus went around serving, here's these women. So maybe we have in our mind just Jesus and 12 disciples kind of meander. I think there was a bigger group. They were providing meals. Who knows all of how they were providing, but providing for this group. Uh, the word Mark here uses for how they, uh, if you're reading the ESV, you have they minister to him. It's, it's a word where we get the word deacon from. They were serving. Deacon, a way of serving. They were serving Jesus. They were ministering to Jesus. They had done this while he was ministering to others. And I believe we also see in these women that they seek to care for the body of Christ. Now here we're thinking physically, the actual body of Christ. We'll talk about the body of Christ, the church, a little bit later. But verse 47 kind of comes comes back, and I don't know if this is a, a miniature sandwich of Mark that we've talked about before, but they come back on the scene and really prepare us to go into chapter 16, which we'll be looking at next week. But verse 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So here they come, they care for the body. It ties in and they're going to visit this tomb early Sunday morning. They're going to anoint Jesus with spices. They're going to continue, if you will, ministering to their master, even though he's now dead. So why does Mark and other accounts, why mention these women? Why add here that they followed Jesus and they ministered to Jesus? A couple things. I think it shows they had a relationship with Christ. Christ was not just on his own. He had relationships with people, in particular, these women who followed him. Uh, They would make up some of the witnesses of his true death. These women could testify. He's died. They were watching. And I think for Mark and his audience... And for us, we get a glimpse again into what discipleship looks like. When I say that word, disciple, what following Jesus looks like, it looks like following and serving. And even though this situation looked pretty grim for them, I mean, here we're reading, we have chapter 16, and we can peek at the title, and it says the resurrection. So we know what's coming. I don't believe at this time they were putting that together. Even though Jesus had predicted it, we're putting it together. And so here, they're even serving their master who had just died, and they're continuing to follow and serve him. Well, let's move on from these women then and gaze back at the cross as evening comes. And Mark tells us it was the day of preparation, a day if you're a Jewish person, you're getting all your work done before that required, that day of Sabbath, that rest. You, you're There's not a lot, if any, work you can do on that day. So it's a day of getting ready for this day. It's a day of preparation. And that's where we learn of this one called Joseph of uh, Arimathea. Look at verse 43. He shows up. A respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God. He took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. 
his name that Arimathea indicates where he was from, perhaps some 20 miles northwest of Jerusalem. So out there, perhaps that's, or that's where he's from, describes him. Matthew 27 tells us, gives us a little more details. He was a rich man. Uh, we learn from other gospel accounts. He was a disciple of Jesus, but John tells us, so this was a disciple. John tells us he was secretly a disciple for fear of the Jews. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, that group, that Jewish group of leadership. Remember that it really condemned Jesus to his death. He was part of that group, even though I don't believe he had condemned Jesus. We would see elsewhere. Um, and we learn that. He didn't agree with that decision. But here's this guy, Joseph, this rich one, a respected member, someone with status, you might say. And so verse 43 tells us and explains how he approached Pilate. It gives us a couple things here. He was looking for the kingdom of God. I think that's important. He took courage and he asked for the body of Jesus. John 19.31 says this to give us a little background. It says, since it was the day of preparation, again, speaking of the same period, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So think of all the Jews in a general sense. They don't want the bodies up on these crosses. He was crucified with one on his right, one on his left. They wanted them taken away, presumably to uh, the Romans. I don't believe it's the, the Jewish people were asking, we'll take them down, we'll deal with this. It's like, could you please just take them down? before that special day comes. And so here comes Joseph, who seeks the body for himself personally. I'll deal with it. If we think about this, I think this was a bold move for Joseph. And it's a risk, and it would single him out. Along with, we're told he was with Nicodemus, that one that had met Jesus at night. Jesus talked about him, you must be born again. Nicodemus was there as well. But this would single out Joseph as a follower of this rabbi, a follower of Jesus. Joseph could almost say, so long, status. Maybe so long to his reputation with his peers on that council. When they see Joseph, what? He's handling the body. He's going to put them in the tomb. Perhaps maybe so long to the wealth. If people... Uh, distance themselves from him. We're not going to buy from him or whatever his business was in. We're going to boycott that. Did you see what he did with the one that the, the council condemned to death? But what was it about Joseph that gave him a boldness at this hour? And I believe, you're not going to be surprised at this through the book of Mark, he had eyes to see Jesus. And we see it. Verse 43 speaks of him as one looking for the kingdom of God. How, how many times have I been up here and we've preached a sermon and we've talked about blindness and looking and sight and Jesus healing those that were blind and seeing the kingdom and this idea all over the place. And so I believe it's providential here. Here's one disciple that has eyes for the kingdom of God. Not just a wandering Jewish man waiting for some vague kingdom, but his eyes were really 
I think really looking for the kingdom, that rule of God, when God would reign. And he was looking. And I believe in some way, as he looked, he saw the king before him, Jesus Christ, and he followed. Perhaps we think, too late, he's already died. He's going to follow him. No matter the time, whatever time he has left, maybe he said, I have been fearful of these Jews no longer. I'm looking for the kingdom. This is the king. Perhaps he, like the centurion, said, truly this was the Son of God, and said, forget it. I'm going to follow, and I'll take him. And he took courage. And that's what he did. He took courage, it says, to go ask for this body. Mark, I do not believe, the writer of this, by the Holy Spirit, he's not uninformed about what he's written, but I think he beautifully writes here by the power of the Spirit. Again, woven into this act of courage of Joseph, we're thinking that more general scene of all the disciples fleeing away from Jesus, even Peter's denial, not so many uh, verses back from where we're at. And now we see glimpses in the women and in Joseph here of these followers of Jesus who would be bold to proclaim Jesus. And even if you go into the book of Acts, Acts 4, we see the boldness of Peter and John. And we see the church in Acts praying for boldness to speak the word and the word of the gospel going out in the midst of persecution. And Acts ends, the book of Acts ends recounting the boldness of Paul to proclaim the kingdom of God. Alfred Edersheim writes of Joseph here, under circumstances the most unlikely and unfavorable were his fears converted into boldness. And he whom fear of the Jews had restrained from making open a vow of discipleship during the lifetime of Jesus, not only professed such of the crucified Christ, but took the most bold and decided step before Jesus and Gentiles in connection with it. I think facing the defilement for him of dealing with a dead body, facing rejection from his fellow Jews, Joseph boldly goes to Pilate and says, I'd like that body. He takes courage. Look at verse 44 and 5. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. I think crucifixions, as I study this, they were typically much longer affairs. Criminals may have spent days in agony before their death. And I think that's why Pilate is surprised. He's dead already? And here again, we have the centurion who we last saw exclaiming, this is the Son of God, truly this is the Son of God testifying to the death of Jesus. Another commentator, James Edwards, says this, One cannot discount the probability that Mark sets Joseph, a leader of the Jews, in conjunction with the centurion, a commander of the Roman army. The behavior of the one and the confession of the other indicate that Jesus is the Savior of both Jews and Gentiles. I think Mark, by the Spirit, is writing beautifully, and we perhaps see that right in here. We see a pilot who 
The last time he gave somebody a body was to give Jesus up to the crowd that crucified him and took him. And now he's giving this body uh, to Joseph of Arimathea. Well, he grants the request, and I believe in part providentially because Joseph was a wealthy and influential member. I don't think anybody, just anybody, could have gone up to Pilate and said, I'll take it. I think Joseph had clout. He had wealth. He was able to spend, if you will, his, his capital of status. He was able to spend it. And what did he spend it on? A, a body bruised and broken by sin and battered on a cross. That's what he spent that capital on. Some would look at it and say, oh, what a waste. I think what a treasure for Joseph now, without fear, to take courage and go care for his master, whom he secretly followed. But now he's coming out of that fear, out of the shadows, to say, I'll, I'll walk. I'll take care of my master. Verse 46 tells us what they did. Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Other accounts have Nicodemus, like I said, alongside Joseph here and, and we're not told, I'm, I'm thinking and as I'm reading, Potentially, there's others that would have helped us with this whole operation. I don't think it was just Joseph or just Joseph and Nicodemus. But uh, another account, I didn't write down where this is. Nicodemus came. He bought 75, just to think of this, little side note, 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe. 75 pounds worth, which I did not do the cost on, but cannot be cheap to do this. These disciples were sold out. For Jesus, a great cost. The tomb they laid Jesus in was Joseph's, and it was a new one at that. We read elsewhere. Uh, from my study, we, when we think of a tomb, it was interesting to read. Perhaps we've watched enough Easter movies where we get an idea. We think maybe in this tomb there was just, I don't, at least I think, one slab of cement, right? They go in, there's just one slab, and that's, that's it, and that's the tomb. And uh, it could be, and I think they found this, where a tomb was actually the entrance opened up to other, you might say, miniature tombs, you know, or little like caverns, as I think about it, of where they would place these bodies in this linen shroud. Put it back there, uh, you know, wrap it, embalm it, whatever with the spices, put the body back, you know, roll the stone, keep the robbers out. But then a year later, as I read, roll the stone back and come in or whenever they have de decomposed, however they figured that out, grab the bones that are left and then take them to another. I don't know if it was a pile or what it is, but we've, we've heard that phrase. You've been, uh, they were gathered to their fathers. I think there's, as I'm reading and seeing some of this, there's some, like, real practically, they were gathered. Their father's bones were here, and those bones that had decomposed, they took them off, and they were, in a literal sense, gathered to their fathers. And so, not that Jesus would necessarily be alone and perhaps one even said and i'm a bit off track but one said even these women observing this perhaps these women needed to know for the next for when they would come back just which which compartment where was jesus maybe there was others uh in there i don't know but i'm thinking it's a new tomb so perhaps not you can think more on that it gives you a little idea of the tomb 
But that's where we leave Jesus here. We leave him at the end of this passage. We, I know we've got Mary and the other Mary and seeing where he was laid. We leave him laid in a tomb, stone against the entrance. It was interesting reading it just this morning in Luke 2, if you're on the two-year reading plan. You read this morning about Jesus, baby Jesus, that we're going to celebrate at Christmas. They, they wrapped Jesus in swaddling clothes at his birth and laid him in a manger. And here, at the end of his life, he is wrapped in a linen shroud and laid in a tomb. Pretty interesting connection to see our Savior and what he's done. So, we ask, what bearing does Mark's account of these lives, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, Salome, uh, Joseph here, even Nicodemus for that matter, what, what does this have on our lives so many years later? And I want to offer two applications from this passage that I think can bear directly on our lives as disciples. Just two. Number one is to serve Jesus with your resources. Serve Jesus with your resources, your means, what you have, who you are. The women here served and ministered to Jesus while he was in Galilee. We read of that. Paul says of the church in 1 Corinthians 12, now you are the body of Christ. If they served in this way, how are we now as disciples to serve the body of Christ? I think in a way we serve Christ by serving one another in the church. And we serve Christ by proclaiming His name and His glory to the nations. And so what is it that God has given each one of you? Different things. Each one of us. We're not all the same. Even though these two guys might wear the same shirt, otherwise we're not the same. Uh, We're different and God has gifted different things uh, to each of us. What do you have at your disposal? Do you have a new tomb? I don't know any of us that just have a new tomb sitting around. Maybe you've bought plots or or lots or whatever that is. Uh, But that's what Joseph had. He had a new tomb. He had some wealth. And there was a time and he used it to serve the Master. Do you have physical things? Do you have a mind that can work out things? Do you have a certain talent? On and on. What has God gifted you that you might use for His kingdom and serve the body? And I don't want you to discount small things like, I don't know, I have time. How might God use that? Or an insignificant skill. You know, I can... I can roll my tongue. I don't know. I'm thinking too, you know, but can God use that? Let's just think on that a minute. That's really insignificant, isn't it? Can you roll your tongue? Okay, so how could God use that? You roll your tongue. I don't know. Maybe there's a child crying in the checkout line. You roll your tongue. They laugh at that. All of a sudden, you're talking to the mom or dad, and a conversation starts. And you used rolling your tongue for the glory of God. Now, that's kind of a silly illustration, but you get the idea. What has God gifted you with to use for the kingdom to serve? What resources? Tonight, uh, I would invite all of you, we're we're on our second to last Truth Project video, and if you've not been part of it, that's fine. 
I would just invite you to come. We're going to be looking at the idea of work tonight and creating and labor for the glory of God, using the means, uh, what we have. And so it ties in really well, and I encourage you uh, just to plug to come at 6.30 for that tonight. So serve Jesus with your resource. Number two, follow Jesus courageously. Follow your master, follow Jesus with courage. Proclaim him courageously. Teach Jesus courageously. Live out Christ-like love courageously. Does that describe you? Are you a courageous follower of Christ? Boldness and courage in the Christian faith, I do not believe they are a Spirit's gift, the Spirit's gift, to a few of the special ones. They ought to characterize our walk. Let me just give you a few verses real quickly. Psalm 31, 24. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I think in some sense you could say Joseph was waiting for the Lord. He was looking for it. And when he saw this death, I wonder if he saw it and said, that's the kingdom, that's the king. Out of the shadows, I'm going to serve. Deuteronomy 31.6, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. We should be the most courageous people around, right? Preaching to myself. Joshua 1.9 to Joshua. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Those whose eyes are looking for the kingdom of God take courage to walk as servants of the king. Sometimes courage shows up by simply trusting Jesus. Sometimes it's making a phone call you don't really want to make but it's part of serving the king. Sometimes it's being silent. Sometimes courage is speaking or simply putting one step forward by faith with our eyes on Jesus. Serve Jesus with your resources. May we be characterized as a people who follow Jesus courageously. Let me pray for us. Lord, the truth is, as I preach this message, that oftentimes, perhaps, we are less than courageous. And we've looked at moments where we've shrunk when we should have been more bold. Father, I pray that our courage would not just be kind of a drumming up of courage, but really come from waiting on you as our eyes look to you that we can take heart in so many of these verses that the Lord our God is with us. The Lord, the Maker, as we've looked at in Sunday school, is with us. You, in Christ, if we've repented and put our trust in Jesus Christ, we have the Lord God of the universe who goes with us. We have Your words before us. We should be, Lord, the most courageous people. In a right sense, not that we're out doing just risky, dumb things, but we're courageous for the kingdom, for your glory. Help us to be that kind of people. Maybe we need to take courage, Lord, and I pray you would work in our hearts, each one of us, where that is in our family, in our lives, 
what you've given, the resources we have, how do you want us to courageously live with those? And, and then how to follow you with courage. We pray you'd grant that by your Spirit. We pray Sundays here and midweek prayer and times where we see prayer requests and we think of others during the week that we'd be prayerful for one another and we would encourage one another in the body. I'm praying for our meal today, for our lives today as Bethany Bible Church, that we would encourage, bring to courage those around us who need that. I pray you do a great work among us, and I thank you for the work.